Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Showing Up to Life podcast and YouTube channel. My name is Art Burns, and I am very, very happy and very excited to be here with you today. Uh, I think that I'm kind of settling into what is uh, feeling like a sort of normal um, flow and routine for these podcasts. As you all know, it's been a bit of a struggle here, right? Because um, I started out doing this podcast um about three years ago now, <laughs> and uh, and at the time, I didn't have a whole lot else going on, right? I was, I was just really becoming a coach, and I didn't have a lot of clients, and I, you know, had a job, of course, but I had a lot of free time, it felt like, a lot of free sort of mental space too, right? And so it was very sort of easy for me, or let's not say easy, but let's say it was available to me to, um, to engage and to, and to set a sort of standard for this podcast that was every single day, right? That was where I set out to do. I set out to do a five-day-a-week podcast, right? Which, again, made tons of sense three years ago. But today, it feels like it makes less sense. It feels like it's maybe a little overwhelming. And as many of you have, you know, sort of sympathetically written to me, you know, it's there's a danger of burnout here. And I don't want to do that, right? So it's like, so I'm, I'm left with a choice, as I've been telling you all about, you know, I'm left with a choice that I can either, you know, either really push and just, you know, push it to the point where it just becomes so exhausting that I just don't do it anymore. I just blow it up and walk away, you know, or I could find some you know, sustainable way to continue to bring you some episodes without, you know, doing that, that totally overtaxing of myself and leading to burnout, leading to just having to shut the whole thing down. So <laughs> I'm realizing that, um, that right now, and this is always subject to change, as we all know, right now, it feels like Thursday and Saturday are definite days where I can do podcast episodes. And it feels like Wednesday and Friday are potential. Okay, so that's where we're going to be for a little while, right? I'm just letting you all know that. Um, so today what I wanted to talk about, though, is, um, you know, it's really most of the time when I do these podcasts, what I do is I, I do the thing. I come up with an idea, like a very sort of uh, basic notion of what I want to talk about. Let's say self-compassion. You know, I want to illustrate self-compassion somehow, somehow with today's episode, right? You know, normally that just means like, okay, let me think of like the first words of the song kind of thing. How can I sort of enter into the uh, the the discussion of self-compassion? And again, ordinarily, you know, I just kind of flow from there. And then at the end is when I come up with the title and the subject line and all that kind of stuff, right? So today I'm doing it a little differently and we're going to see how this goes, okay? Uh, today I actually came up with, um, with the title of the episode as I was kind of, you know, contemplating what I wanted to talk about, okay? Because I think it's really kind of cool that there's a certain aspect of the story that's going to make the point for me. So it's a little bit of a reversal of the way we do things. We're being creative, we're being inventive, we're being curious here, okay? So this is what we're going to do today. All right, so <clears throat> the title of this is going to be Ironed Shirts, Authenticity, and Self-Compassion at Last. <laughs> Aren't you wondering where that's going to go? As you can see, I wear these shirts. Now, now, many days I do have a shirt that looks like it's pretty well crisply pressed, okay? Okay. I want to assure you of something very important, 
okay? Those shirts that look very crisply pressed, they are made of some fabric that is non-iron fabric. I came across these shirts. They were on sale, the whole thing. It's not what I would normally want. Normally, I really like the natural feel of like this kind of cotton, you know? Um, the shirt that I'm wearing is just more of a cotton. And as you can see, though, it's got some wrinkles, right? And so, so the thing is that I don't iron my shirts anymore, okay? Now, going back, going back a long time now, going back to, say, uh, you know, about 15, 20 years ago, right? As I've told you many, many, many times, you all would not even recognize me right? You wouldn't rec recognize me physically. You wouldn't recognize me emotionally. You wouldn't recognize me by my compassion, by my kindness, by my presence. None of it <laughs> because I wasn't any of this, okay? As I've told you before, you know, I've, I've, you know, I've, I've been pretty open here about the childhood trauma that I've had and everything. And, and, and a big part of the, the trauma that I endured, you know, was the relationship with my father. And, and, you know, the relationship with my father was defined by him in the way that he left, right? And, uh, and kind of, yeah, kind of abandoned us for a few years and then came back and it was really weird. And there was never any real discussion, you know? And so it set up this really very awkward and, and strange relationship in which I was always trying to please him, right? Like that's the thing, you know, if a guy, if a father leaves his family and then comes back, you can bet that family's going to be pretty darn people pleasing to make sure he doesn't leave again. Right. Especially when this all happens at the age of like five years old and then he comes back at the age of like 12 right so <laughs> um so one of the aspects of this was you know part of the the relationship that I had with my father was him you know always kind and, and I I know now and in the forgiveness that I've offered for him the forgiveness that I've established within myself for him I know now that it is a um it's a form of an effort to help me, right? I know that's where it was coming from. I know that, that his intention was to somehow provide me with something that he thought I needed, okay? That he was completely wrong is aside the point, right? Um, but, but the problem is, right, and, and it's not just the fact that he was, you know, and, and what I'm getting at here is that there was, there was always a very high pressure um, towards, towards earning money, Right, it was always, always, always paramount, and and also productivity. Right, like I did that uh, that video the other day about you know kind of prioritizing presence over productivity. Right, I think I did a YouTube video on that in a podcast. I know I did a TikTok. Again, it's getting very confusing out here with all my content, but uh, but but I I believe I did a video here the other day where where I talked about how Alan Watts had said a long time ago that that we should stop. Um, stop measuring our days by degree of productivity and start experiencing them by degree of presence, right? And so my father was the opposite of that, <laughs> okay? My father was all about the productivity. Presence didn't matter for nothing, right? And in fact, this led to him one time literally at 12 years old calling me stupid for sitting there re, uh, listening to the radio, right? Like that's the level at which he was driven to kind of, you know, you know, beat into me that, that, that life was really about productivity and, and about, you know, you know, making stuff so that you could earn money. Right. 
the problem with this, right? Because he's not necessarily wrong, right? Like, yes, money is everywhere. Money is is a, a necessary part of life. And if you don't have some method of earning money, you are going to suffer, right? And the degree to which you are able to earn money theoretically is the degree to which your suffering will or will not be there right now. However, there is a little bit of a confusion about that. I think, and, and I see this in my father now because he suffers now, even though he, he prioritized money all his life and he succeeded. I mean, he did very well for himself in terms of his own, you know, financial, you know, what I believe he kind of met his goals that he believed in and everything like that. But he's a sad guy now. He's broken because he has nothing, he has no sense of, of purpose outside the money. He has no sense of value outside the money, right? And so, again, I think just like anything else, right, there's a point, there's a tipping point, right? So, yes, there is a very uh, wise and, and, and kind of even a beautiful sense of, of allowing yourself to or, or, you know, sort of cultivating a sense of, okay, here's a priority that I have to provide for myself and my family and everything like that, right? Like, that's not a negative thing until a point. Because beyond this, and there's studies that have been done on this, by the way, is that after a certain point, the amount of money that you are earning actually detracts from your happiness, right? There's a certain point, there's a sweet spot in which, you know, that's what you need. And it's above the necessary minimum, right? Like, like, so in other words, to just be able to, to scrimp by, you're going to suffer. But then to have a certain amount of excess, and I don't remember exactly where that point is, but at a certain point, the excess becomes not a sense of abundance, but actually becomes a, a source of suffering, right? Because the problem is, and this is what happens, is that we get the sense that money is so important that nothing else matters, right? And that, and that, and that even, I mean, even to take it in a, another direction from that, because it doesn't have to be that nothing else matters. You could even have a lot of other interests in your life, right? But, but at a certain point, the money becomes so sort of overvalued that it becomes a source of fear, right? Because what's going to happen if I lose it? And I can tell you about that firsthand, right? When you get to living in a certain, you know, level of, you know, let's say luxury. I mean, I don't feel that I was really very luxurious necessarily, but I had stuff, right? Like if I, if I wanted a, a camera, I could just go out and buy a camera, right? If I wanted to take a, a vacation, it was just like, okay, how quick can we book it? You know, it was never a sense of like, oh man, how am I going to afford that? Right? <clears throat> Again, I had no money in the bank, but I was always having, you always had plenty of money to, you know, spend in the moment and do whatever I wanted to do, right? And so, but again, once you get used to that, right, it becomes downright fearful to come back into something that, or, or to, to sink to, or to, to result in something or wind up in something that is other than that, right? That is that in which you can't just buy whatever you want, in which you can't just drop everything and take a trip, right? That, that you need, you know, there's a, a certain, you know, fiduciary reality that comes in, right? And so that reality is very, very hard to face from that place of, you know, excess. So what does this mean about ironing shirts? <laughs> I'm sure you're asking yourself that. So, 
back when I was in the advertising business, okay, now understand, I did my best to, you know, kind of break free. Now, if, you know, under my father's influence, when I actually worked with him, and literally we shared an office at one point, right? Like, I had to kind of dress like him, right? Like that was, he he made it sound like that was a requirement, right? If you're going to go and see my clients, you have to be wearing, you know, the shirt and the tie and the jacket and that kind of stuff, right? And it was so stiff and it was so not me, you know? It was never me. But I was made to feel that that was what I had to be. Right, because if I wanted the stuff, if I wanted the big house, if I wanted the car, if I wanted the thing, the the trips, the the vacations, the the beach house, and all that stuff, this was the price of admission, right? And so back after I had left working directly with my father and was trying to kind of find my own identity a little bit, you know, a few years later, I mean, the time that I'm talking about when he was really pressuring me, I, mean, I was like 22 years old, very, very young, right? Still very impressionable. Um, and, and, and he put the fear in me, right? That I was going to wind up like one of these losers that I hang out with, you know? And so, um, and so, so it worked, you know, and I'm, I'm not proud that it worked, but it worked, right? Um, and of course, looking back on it, part of my own self-compassion is to see that, that that I didn't have the faculty, right? And of course, it wasn't that it just came out of nowhere at the age of 22, 23 years old. It started when I was 12, right? And so this was just 10 years of, of, a, of a concerted, you know, effort on his part, right? Because again, he believed that he was helping me. So it's not like I should say that it was, you know, a horrible, evil thing, right? Anyway, I feel like I'm running on. So anyway, at, at some point, I left working with him and I started working just in the advertising agencies, right? And at one point, I was working for Deutsch Advertising, which is all the way over in, a, in kind of a funky area of town, not like in Midtown where all the other agencies are. So it was like funky and cool and hip and stuff, you know? And there was a cafe over there called the Paradise Cafe. And they had great coffee, great, you know, little bagels and danishes and stuff like that. So it was like my spot. I would stop there almost every morning on my way into work, right? And grab my little breakfast, my little coffee. And they, they pee, you know, the girls behind the counter were real sweet and friendly. And I was, you know, loved the place, right? And so a lot of times, you know, it's New York City, you know, <laughs> you know, you're always waiting for a few minutes, you know, when you're at breakfast in a breakfast spot, you know, it's always a lot of people. Um, and so, so while I was standing there almost every day, this other guy would come in at the same time, you know, while, you know, we just had synchronized schedules, you know, both had to be in at whatever time he worked here, I worked there, you know, so, so I'd always see the same dude, right? And there I was, you know, still kind of, you know, wearing my like Brooks Brothers style vibe thing, you know, relying on my preppiness to be at least a little hip, you know, uh, but feeling very stuffy and not really, I still was not feeling authentically me, right? And so I would see this guy come in every day, right? And he had this like long hair that was like curly, like kind of about the length that my hair is now. But he had such a style about him, right? He was preppy as preppy can be, right? But the thing is, like, and, and he worked in an office like I did. I could tell, right? Like, we, you know, again, we're nine to five, right? We're both here at the coffee shop every morning at, you know, 845, right? You know, we're both doing the nine to five thing. It's not like he's living, you know, some kind of, you know, freewheeling artist lifestyle and I'm, you know, stuck in the office. Clearly, we're both on the nine to five grind, right? 
But he's standing there with his, like, he had, like, you know, Converse, um, uh, all-star high tops, you know, the Chuck Taylors, right, with, like, these, like, kind of, um, you know, certain kind of, like, socks that were long but not too long and, like, bunched up, and he'd be wearing shorts, and he'd be wearing a, a shirt like this, like a polo shirt that was completely not ironed, not pressed, not nothing. He was completely, like, frumpy, preppy, but, like, had a tie on, right? And I would look at this dude, and I'd be like, how do you do it, man? Like, of course, I never, I, I wish, I wish I could go back now, because I would approach the guy, I would say, dude, I need to talk to you. Let me buy you a cup of coffee, and let's sit down for a few minutes, and you tell me about how you got to this point, you know? Because there was something about it at that time that felt like, like he could walk into any business meeting, even wearing shorts and sneakers, because of the way his style was put together. And the thing about it was that I realized now that I didn't realize then, he was dressing in his authenticity, right? He was doing him. <laughs> you know, that's what made him comfortable. And he did it. And I'm sure some people resented him for it. I'm sure some people looked at him and said, oh, God, there he is again with his like, it's like he's wearing his pajamas in here. I'm sure there were some people who didn't like it. But does that matter to him? I mean, you know, again, the guy, you know, working the nine to five, but looked real happy, looked way more comfortable than me. So now you see me <laughs> with my non-iron shirt. Now, so I still don't have it together like preppy dude did. And, and I don't think I need to. It's not my vibe either, right? Like my style is not to be, you know, done up either, right? Like he was still living in Chelsea in New York City or at least working in the Chelsea area in New York City, you know, which is like, you know, you're, you're trying to be stylish, you know? I'm out of that game now, right? That's no longer my thing. I'm not trying to impress anybody by the way I dress. And that's the point, right? That was never my authenticity. That was never who I was, right? I yesterday listened to a um, little YouTube video about Jungian uh, psychology, Carl Jung, right? And one of the things that was mentioned in this video and uh, that Carl Jung would talk about was is that, you know, very much like what this is, right? Like if you are incapable of, and I was, I really just felt so not good. Now, listen, I love to put on a shirt and a jacket, right? Like it feels good to me to do that. That feels authentic. I don't want it to be a press shirt with a tie on and, you know, khaki pants with the pleats and all that stuff, you know. I'd wear a jacket and a shirt with a pair of shorts and a t-shirt underneath, you know. That's the thing, right? And so and so what what Young was saying in this in this uh example that that they were talking about in this YouTube video was was the idea of, you know, if if there's something like, you know, the, the example they used was, let's say that you're, you're really not handy around the house, right? But what are you, right? Because, because you don't have to be handy around the house. Maybe you're a creative person. Maybe you're a, a, a wordsmith. You, you love to read and write and you love to, you know, use words to illustrate stories and, and metaphors and stuff like that. Sounds a little like me, right? <laughs> and uh, and and 
you know, so so the idea then is that many of us, especially if we grow up with a, a, a parent figure or a caregiver figure who is imposing some sort of you know, obligation upon us to be a certain thing in order to earn a certain right to certain things or something, right? When we have that influence in our lives, we we start to believe that, you know, I, I can't not be handy. I have to figure out how to be handy, right? I gotta I gotta spend all my energy and all my 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 time and and my you know resources. I gotta figure out how to become more handy. Because the world is telling me that I should be able to do these very simple things around my house, but I can't do that, right? But instead, what we really should do, according to Carl Jung, is abandon the handiness. Don't worry about being handy. I mean, if you need to learn, you know, if there's a hole in your roof and you have nobody to fix it, yeah, you got to figure out how to fix the roof, right? <laughs> and that's okay. But don't, for the sake of it, just become <coughs> more handy, while abandoning your authenticity. Instead, go towards the thing, turn towards the thing that you love. There's a great um, uh, letter that, that um, Hunter S. Thompson wrote to a friend. I don't remember who the friend was. I don't think it was a famous writer or anything, but it might have been. Actually, I think it was. Anyway, it was a letter that Hunter S. Thompson wrote to this person, and they were like in college, right? And it was about like, you know, life and, and career and, and like, you know, the guy was trying to choose the path. He had asked Hunter S. Thompson, I mean, asked Hunter S. Thompson for career advice. I mean, imagine that, right? You all can look, if, if you're not familiar with Hunter S. Thompson, look him up, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, and you'll understand how funny that is. But the thing that Hunter S. Thompson said right, was that, and it was a beautiful, very long, re really well-written letter, which is one thing about Hunter S. Thompson, right, like, like there is a, a sense that because he's, you know, obviously a lot of, uh, a lot of drugs and inebri inebriation were involved with a lot of his, you know, gonzo journalism and stuff, right, but he's really a great writer, right, people compare him to Mark Twain, like, he was a great, great writer, Right. And so this letter is just beautiful and it's really just oh, just really exquisite. You should look it up. I'm sure if you Google Hunter S. Thompson career letter advice or something like that, I'm sure it'll pop up. But anyway, one of the things that he says is that and this was, you know, I wish I had read this when I was 13 years old. Maybe I could have showed it to my father and told him why I'm not listening to him. <laughs> but the advice that he was giving essentially was saying that. You know, don't try to figure out the thing you can do to make money. Just do the thing you love and figure out how to monetize that, right? Or allow that to be monetized almost. Because that's what happens, right? If you're, you know, if you just pursue that thing that you love, you make it you. You make it your essence in a sense, and then that grows the fruit, right? And and it and it will happen. And I mean, obviously, I'm sure a lot of my audience here are not, you know, burgeoning young, you know, twenty year old kids coming out of school and ready to, uh, you know, tackle the world, right? Many of you like me, you know, it's not a question of what's gonna work, you know. But think about for your kids, 
right? For any of you who do have kids, you know, think about it, right? Um, you know, uh, uh, Gabor Mate says in, in, in one of the talks that I attended with him, he said, he said, the most important thing that we can do as parents, and he said, he interjected, in fact, the only thing we have to do as parents is allow our children to be who they are. Right, which is essentially the same thing that that you know that Hunter S. Thompson was saying. Right, just be you, and allow that to become. And, and look at how it worked with the Hunter S. Thompson. I'm sorry, let me finish my sentence. Allow that to become the thing that nourishes you on whatever level. Because the point is that you know if you have a passion for writing, it doesn't mean that you can only make your mo- money through writing books, right? There's editing, there's you know, there's you know all co- probably proofreading, all kinds of ways in which you could, you know, maybe write articles, you could write blogs, you could do, you know, so many different things that are related to the writing that you could do because you're so immersed in the writing right? Um, same thing with acting, right? Like, like it's not just the actors, but it's so many people involved with theater and film and everything else that, you know, there's like literally like we see like the tip of the iceberg. There's just a huge amount of people that are involved underneath the, the waterline, right? So the point is just pursue your passions and allow yourself to find what that, that magical thing is, Right? Because again, you know, and, and it's not too late, right? Now, of course, I'm not saying quit your job, right? Like, that's not what I'm trying to say, right? But what I'm trying to say is do the things that make you happy, right? You know, if, if, you, if dancing makes you happy, then effing dance, you know? I don't care where it is. I don't care if it's dancing in the laundromat or dancing in a disco. <laughs> I'm dating myself, <laughs> you know? Dance, dance and see where the dancing brings you. Alan Watts also says that, you know, speaking of dancing and Alan Watts, you know, he talks about, you know, when, when we do, you know, he talks about like ballroom dancing, right? He says when we're ballroom dancing, it's not like we have a certain spot on the floor out there that we say, okay, I got to end up right on that spot, right? I mean, yeah, you know, you're going to be in that general area, right? Because your dancing is going to bring you over there. But you're allowing yourself to to find that spot, right? You're not reverse engineering something. And that's the way life is. And so and so again, the, the title of this of this episode, uh, Iron Shirts, Authenticity and Self-Compassion at Last. Where's the self-compassion come in, right? The self-compassion comes in because I used to really beat myself up over this. I used to feel as though I abandoned myself because I wasn't true to who I was, because now I am. I know what it is to be true to yourself. And I'm very fortunate in that I was also willing to sacrifice a lot of comfort to get to this point, trust me, right? Again, I used to live in a very sort of uh, a certain lifestyle that I'm no longer living, and it's been a huge sacrifice for me and my family. So, so when I say that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm living this life, it's not like, oh, man, he's got it all together. It must be so easy. It's not, okay? <laughs> it's not. But boy, is it worth it. Oh, my gosh. You know, because again, like one of the one of the kind of aspects of this, and I know I'm kind of ranging here a little bit today. I'm a little tired, pardon me. Um, you know, one of the aspects of this is that, you know, 
a lot of times we feel that that like you know we're almost like like even with this podcast you know there was a point at which you know i was thinking like okay at some point i'll have you know thousands and thousands of followers and and i'll i'll be a real podcaster right like it'll happen at some day but that's not how things work right i'm a podcaster because i sit here every day and i record a podcast Right, And this podcast is no more or less real than the podcast was when I only had two or three people listening to me. And it's going to be no more or less real if I have 5,000 people listening to me or even if I get to 5 million people listening to me. It's not going to really be any different because it's still me and it's still my moment-by-moment experience. And so don't worry about ironing your shirts. (laughs) Right? <laughs> Don't worry about it because, again, the idea is that, that that somehow we have this sort of rehearsal for life, like something's going to happen out there that's going to finally, I'll finally arrive, right? <clears throat> but the point is that right now in this moment, it is your life. And if you're feeling like you have to iron your shirt to be, you know, to somehow represent yourself in some way in, you know, a few days to some person who blah, 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 then what you're doing then is you're living your life for that next time, right? When what you could do is just be you right here in the moment, right? And trust that, that, that if you are you, you know, yes. As an authentic person, you're, you're certainly going to, again, alienate some. And I'm not telling you that you have to all of a sudden stop dressing for work and start, you know, wearing like tie-dye t-shirts and stuff like that, right? If it's not, if you work in a law firm, no, I'm sorry, it's just not going to work for you, right? But maybe you work in an office where it's not so far-fetched, you know? Maybe there is some way that you can allow yourself to be you, and still accommodate the dress codes or whatever. And that's, and that's part of the wisdom that we get when we start really bringing an awareness to ourselves. So the first step is not to just jump into authenticity, but the first step is to recognize where I'm not authentic. And again, this brings us back to the self-compassion, right? Because the important thing to recognize is that it's not your fault, right? You didn't create most of this. Most of it was imposed upon you. And as I tell all my clients all the time, it is not your fault what happened to you, but from this point forward, it is your responsibility, right? And so again, now there are going to be some areas of your, but but like I've often said, pardon me, I'm going to interrupt myself here, as I've said many times, right? Your authenticity is not this fixed thing that, that existed 20 years ago right? Your authenticity is something that's within you now. It's just a question of, of coming into contact with it. It's a question of seeing it more clearly, okay? So, so, and what that means, though, is that part of your authenticity is, like, part of my authenticity includes having dressed and acted in a way that was not me for so long, right? Like, I have been shaped by that experience. It lasted for a long time, and there was a lot of shaping that went on, and so that is me. That is my authenticity. Not the guy, not wearing the suit is not my authenticity, but the guy who lived through that is, right? And so, and so it's not something that I have to get back to. It's not something I have to somehow achieve and just be it, right? 
And, and again, the first, the very first step is just to bring awareness, right? So to notice, what am I doing in my life right now that is that I'm doing for someone else's benefit, not, not for the sake of like taking care of my family, but for somebody else's approval. Right. And again, now the, now it's not always necessarily a bad thing, right? You know, if you are a lawyer and your dream is to, to be a partner in a law firm, well then, yeah, you got to get their approval and that's part of the deal. And that's okay. If that's you and that's your authenticity and that makes you happy, no problem, right? I heard a story recently of a, of a guy who went through, um, you know, years and years and years, law school in a law firm for like 10 years. And one day he came in and he says, you know what? All I ever wanted to do was to be a bartender. And so I'm giving my notice and I'm going to go be a bartender. Not open a bar, not, you know, build a resort or something like that. Just go be a bartender. And apparently the guy has never come back and he's been happier than anything ever since. Right? So now we don't all have that luxury. We don't all have the luxury of just saying, oh, well, I got enough savings. I can just do the thing. You know, so it doesn't always have to be that sort of extreme, you know, zero sum kind of thing. Right? For instance, if you're, a, you know, if you work in an office and you're, you've always had a burning desire to be a bartender, well, then see if you can find a, a gig where you bartend one or two nights a week, you know, and keep your job, right? Keep the day job until your night job pays. You know, there's always a way to transition these things too, which again comes from that self-compassionate awareness. So again, the thing is like, don't worry about all of this. Just practice mindfulness and self-compassion and you will arrive at this, this destination. But if you'd like to talk more about it, if you'd like some help to try to find that authenticity or to, you know, to understand it a little bit deeper, I'm here to talk, okay? You know how to get me. There's a link in the description uh, or in the email that you received. And so you can book a very free session with me, okay? 45 minutes costs zero. And I would love to see you there. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this uh, ranging episode. It was a, a weird one. Uh, maybe that's a, a result of having started with the the, uh, the the title because I had to keep coming back to that. And lo and behold, we ran a little over. So look at this. Our experiment is is proving is is bringing some very fruitful results that we can learn from. So I'm going to be sitting with this today, reflecting on it and, uh, and seeing, you know, checking it against my own authenticity. And I'll let you know what I find tomorrow. All right, everybody. Thanks again. I wish you well. I'll see you again next time.